Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1 through 22. What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics? For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's study takes us to Revelation chapter 8. Now, as we've been discussing, the book of Revelation must really be understood as a narrative, as a story. Uh, Likely, there's two stories. The first, as we mentioned, is in chapters 1 through 3, where John sees a vision and is told to write in a book what he sees and to send it to the seven churches, which he does in chapters 2 and 3. Revelation chapter 4, however, introduces us to another story. Uh, Then John sees a door standing open in heaven, and he he goes up into heaven and he sees a throne with the Father sitting on the throne. In chapter 5, the Father is sitting on the throne with a scroll in his right hand, and no one's worthy to open the scroll uh, until John finds out that the lion, the lion the, the, from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book uh, and, and its seven seals. In chapter 6, and uh, John then begins to open the seven seals, and he breaks the seals one after another, one, two, three, four, five, and 6, but we haven't gotten to the seventh seal yet. Instead of introducing us to the seventh seal, chapter 7 introduces us to an interlude, which appears to describe the people of God, the 144,000 and then the great multitude, which we discussed in our last session. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, then picks it up from there. When, when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers uh, of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, and he filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, and sounds, and flash of lightning, and an earthquake. And the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound them. The first five verses of chapter 8, then, serves both to conclude... Uh, the, the description of the seven seals, as well as introduce us to the seven trumpets. Of course, they link the two together by overlapping. The seventh seal ends, it appears to, to end in chapter 8, verse 1, and the seven trumpets are then introduced to us in chapter 8, verse 2. Uh, and then there's another pause. Uh, verses 3 through 5 talk about an angel coming to the altar with incense and the prayers of the saints. And then we go to verse 6, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Now, as we discuss the narrative in the book of Revelation, the Father sitting on a throne, uh, John sees a scroll in the right hand of the Father in chapter 5, and and the scroll is is sealed with seven seals. John becomes distraught because no one's found worthy to open the scroll in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And then he hears that the the lion is overcome and is worthy to, uh, to open the scroll. He looks, however, and he sees a lamb that was slain. The lamb proceeds to take the scroll from the right hand of the Father in chapter 5, verse 7, and then John sees four living creatures and 24 elders who had who had golden bowls full of incense. And we're told in chapter 5, verse 8, that the incense is the prayers of the saints. 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders then fall down and worship the lamb because he's worthy to open the scroll. And they sang a new song, Revelation 5, 9. The narrative, as we mentioned, then continues in chapter 6, where the lamb begins to open the scroll by breaking one seal at a time. When the lamb breaks the fifth seal, we're introduced to the souls of those who have been slain, who are under the altar crying out to God for justice. And verse uh, uh, 6, chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 say, And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who had been killed, uh, as they had been, should be completed also. So now at this point in time, we begin to wonder if the cry of the souls for vengeance in chapter 6, verse 10, is the same as the prayers of the saints in chapter 5, verse 8. That is, do the golden bowls full of incense, which represent the prayers of all the saints, correspond to the cry of justice on the part of the martyrs? Now, at this point in time, we have no idea that, that this is indeed the case. But as we turn to chapter 8, it begins to, we begin to realize that this is indeed what's going on. John sees another angel come and stand before the altar in chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, and then he observes that this angel has a golden censer with much incense to give, uh, that was given to him in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Uh, it says, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Here again, then, John seems to connect the prayers, the incense with the prayers of the saints. And a careful reading of, of Revelation, I think, gives us a number of indications that the, uh, uh, that the prayers that are offered upon the altar in Revelation chapter 8 are to be viewed in light of the prayers of the saints contained in the bowls of the four living creatures and 24 elders in Revelation 5, as well as connected with the cries of the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6. Now, as we proceed through the book of Revelation, we're going to see this more and more, and especially as we get to chapter 19, we're going to see that part of the narrative of Revelation chapters 4 through 21 and 22 is the fact that God is answering the prayers of the saints, and the prayers of the saints are a cry for justice. Now, more significantly, of course, is the narrative uh, of uh, God's desire to redeem the nations. Uh, the prayers of the saints were told, uh, this cry for justice, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And we're told that, well, he's not going to avenge their blood. He's not going to bring justice until the number of the martyrs, the number of the fellow servants who had been killed as they had been, should be completed also. Now, we begin to find out that the reason why God's delay in answering the prayers of, of the saints under the altar it's not simply because, well, not enough Christians have been killed. I have to wait till all the Christians are killed. But because, as we will continue to show, and this will definitely come to fruition in chapter 11, but because it's the means through which God redeems the nations is through the sacrificial witness of God's people. As we've said before, God's people are depicted as imitating Jesus. And just as Jesus laid down his life and rose again, so also God's people will lay down their lives and rise again. And then that is the means to which God redeems the nation. All right, looking at chapter 8, then, it says that the seventh seal was broken. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Uh, there's all kinds of different possibilities as to what this means, and certain different scholars project all kinds of, uh, of different uh, assumptions to it. But I think, in, in general, silence is often indicating a divine judgment. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 2, the Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Lamentations, and even 1 Samuel, all associate silence with some aspect of God's divine judgment. Note, of course, that silence precedes significant events, like the creation. Silence will also then precede the final judgment, 
And silence is also connected with the book of, of Exodus. Then we're introduced to seven angels who have seven trumpets. Uh, it says the seven angels, and it could be a, the same group of angels or it could be a new one. We're not told. But nonetheless, we're reminded that God is in control because the seven angels were given seven trumpets. Now, trumpets are often used in military situations uh, and it has a, a number of significant meanings to them. Uh, in the Old Testament, a trumpet was a warning, uh, a, a herald of an announcement of, of judgment and repentance or a victory and salvation. Uh, trumpets also precede the enthronement of a king, uh, and they even represent the end-time judgment or salvation. Uh, more significantly, trumpets represent the gathering of God's people and the summons of them to battle. In the New Testament, of course, the elect, uh, uh, and there's an a trumpet precedes the announcement of the return of Christ. And uh, trumpets also awaken the dead for resurrection. So perhaps then the trumpets here announce the beginning of a holy battle, of a holy warfare. Remember in the book of Joshua, the priests blew seven trumpets uh, to, uh, as, as a sign of, of this holy, holy warfare. Now, the seven trumpets themselves play out this way. The first four trumpets are going to affect the earth, and they mark kind of a return to chaos. The last three trumpets affects the earth's, earth's inhabitants. Most significantly, at least the first five trumpets especially, are patterned on the Exodus plagues. Uh, and there, uh, the plagues were a, a prelude, a warning of God's deliverance of his people. If the theme of, scripture, uh, of the book of Revelation, or themes perhaps of the book of Revelation, is going to be God's redemption of the nations and God's answer to the prayers of the saints. Now those two go together. The answer to the prayers of the saints is not now, because not enough Christians have been martyred, and it's the martyring and suffering and persevering faithful witness of God's people that is the means through which the nations are redeemed. So maybe these are uh, these seven trumpets then serve as warnings, just like the plagues in Egypt were warnings that God's about to deliver his people, so also these trumpets are warnings that God's about to deliver his people. The most significant thing I believe about the seven trumpets, however, is the fact that they are designed or intended to bring the nations to repentance. And we're going to see that at the end of chapter 9. The trumpets were warnings of God's deliverance of his people, but they also seem to have this indication that they're designed to bring the nations to repentance. Maybe this is how God's going to save the nations, how he's going to redeem the nations. We know that this is actually not the answer, but as we're reading in the book of Revelation, maybe, maybe this is what's going to happen. The first trumpet then begins in verse 7. The and, and the first angel sounded, and there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown down to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Verse 8, the second angel sounded and sounded, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown in the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, the third angel sounded, and a great star from heaven, burning like a torch, fell. And it fell on, a third, on the rivers and on the springs of waters, and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters, because they were made bitter. Verse 12, And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were smitten, so that a third of them might be darkened, and the day might not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, it's not significant, in my opinion, as to, to parse through exactly what these trumpets uh, mean and, and, and significance. The idea in many is that, well, these actually depict events, uh, real events in space and time and in history, that God's literally going to 
uh, bring fire, hail and fire mixed with blood down to the earth and a, literally a third of the earth is going to be burned up. And, and, and maybe that's so. But let's look at this from the perspective of John's narrative. If the seals represent the trials with, through which the believers pass, uh, then the trumpets and perhaps the bulls represent things with an emphasis upon the judgment upon the unbelievers. Now, as I said, there'll be a distinction between the trumpets and the bulls. As I said, the trumpets appear to be designed to bring the nations to repentance, and we'll note that at the end of chapter 9. The first trumpet is hail and fire mixed with blood and reminds us of the seventh plague upon Egypt. Um, a mountain, of course, a uh, second trumpet has a mountain ablaze that's hurled into the sea. Mountains, as we'll see especially in Revelation chapter 17, are very common uh, for kingdoms and for the nations of the earth. The third trumpet uh, has a great star that falls into the waters, and a third of the waters become bitter and many men die. Um, now the star, of course, remember stars in the book of Revelation are often angels, as we're told that in chapter 1. Uh, and there might be instances where they're not always angels, but generally speaking, if you see a star, you might assume that it's an angel. Um, since this star has fallen uh, from heaven in verse 10, then we might even assume it's demonic. Uh, the name of the star is called Wormwood. And it indicates that the water has become contaminated, perhaps poisonous if drunk over a long period of time. Now, this is an indication that uh, from Deuteronomy and Jeremiah that judgment is because the nations have polluted the world with idolatrous worship. And because they've polluted the world with idolatrous worship, God has given them polluted water to drink. This occurs in particular in Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. And, and there, uh, wormwood often depicts uh, the bitterness of suffering uh, of the people. Jeremiah 8, verse 13 says, I will surely snatch them away, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes in the vine and no figs in the fig tree, and the leaf will wither, and what I have given them will pass away. Why are we still sitting? Assemble yourselves, and let us go into the fortified cities. Let us perish there, because the Lord our God has doomed us and given us poisoned water to drink, for we have sinned against the Lord. When the fourth angel sounds, a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so the third of them might become darkened. And this obviously reminds us of the Egyptian plague in Egypt, the plague of darkness. And then all of a sudden now an eagle warns, Woe, woe, woe to those who inhabit the earth, or uh, to those who dwell upon the earth, because there are many three blasts of the trumpets that are about to sound. Now eagles in the book of Revelation can be either positive or negative. The great eagle in chapter 12 is a source of divine deliverance. But an eagle in this passage is a sign of doom. It's a warning that, Serves to, serves to alert the, the people that there's going to be an increased intensity of the next three trumpets. The greater length in the description of the next three trumpets also indicates uh, severity, well, at least the next two. Again, remember, the book of Revelation was meant to be read aloud. The readers would, uh, the hearers would then hear what's going on. The first angel sounded, notice that takes one verse, uh, verse 7. Then the next angel sounds, and it takes two verses, verses 8 and 9. About the same length, however, as verse 7. Then the next angel sounds in verses 10 and 11. Again, about the same length, same length, but slightly longer. Verse 12 describes the fourth trumpet. And again, about the same length, maybe even briefly shorter. But all of a sudden now, the fifth trumpet is going to, attack, is going to be chapters 9, verses 1 through 11. Uh, and then verse 12 indicates that the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming. And then the second woe is Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 21. The longer description than the fifth and sixth trumpet indicates this increase of intensity. Now, the first four trumpets, as I mentioned, affect the earth and mark maybe some kind of return to chaos. The last three trumpets, however, affect the inhabitants of the earth. And note the, the woe in chapter, third, uh, in chapter 8, verse 13. 
is woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Now, this is going to be an important designation. John's going to designate the inhabitants of the earth, those who dwell on the earth as, as earth dwellers. The people of God, however, are never included in the earth dwellers. Uh, Christians, whatever you want to term you want to use for them. They're going to be referred to in chapter 13 as those who dwell in heaven. This is going to be John's kind of dualistic way of looking at things. There's the earth dwellers and there's those who dwell in heaven. There's those who have the mark of the beast and those who have the mark or the seal of God in their foreheads. John's going to portray things now. We'll see this more and more as we proceed in what's called a dualistic way of thinking. There's, there's good and there's evil. There's black and there's white. There's the earth dwellers uh, and there's the heaven dwellers. So chapter 9 begins with the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Verse 3, And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And the torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, as it were, were crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses, rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. These demonic locusts uh, seem to be hybrid creatures. Uh, and whenever you see a hybrid creature in the biblical uh, narratives, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, you know that it's demonic. Hybrids, of course, are, 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 are failing to, to confirm to the Genesis account that God created everything according to its kind. Once you mix kinds, you know that, it be, that it's demonic, whether it's in the book of Daniel or here in the book of Revelation. These locusts, demonic locusts, demonic spirits come up out of the abyss. Uh, the abyss in scripture uh, is uh, sometimes synonymous with hell. Uh, it's a place of detention for demonic spirits. We'll note that Satan is bound in chapter 20, and he's thrown into the abyss. Um, the fact that the star had fallen to the earth, again in chapter 9, verse 1, tells us that it probably is also, as well, demonic. And it has the key to the abyss, and it opens it up. And out of the smoke, which is obviously an indication that perhaps this is conceived as being hell, uh, where fire comes up out of hell, the smoke comes up, uh, and out of it comes these demonic agencies. Uh, agents. These demonic agents can only harm those who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. Note that the woe of chapter 8 verse 13 was to those who dwell on the earth. And now we're told that only those people who dwell on the earth, namely the ones who don't have the seal of God in their foreheads, can be harmed. However, they can't be killed. They can only be harmed for five months. Uh, five months is often the uh, lifetime of a locust. And so maybe that's the idea of, uh, that has influenced John's thinking in this particular passage uh, as well. Now, these locusts have as king over them uh, one whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. It'll be important to note that in a couple instances, John's going to refer to the Hebrew. For example, the name of that place is called Armageddon, or Har-Mageddon, which is a Hebrew designation. 
The first woe is past, we're told. It indicates now in, in respect to the visions, not in respect to what's happening or transpiring on earth. And notice when John makes references to this is past or after this or whatever, he's referring to the narrative and not to the way things are playing themselves out in human history. The sixth angel then sounded his trumpet in verse 13. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who have been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they might kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat upon them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and hyacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceeded fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, and have heads, and with them they do harm. And here's the key, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, so as not to worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immoralities, nor of their thefts. So as I noted earlier that the those who dwell on the earth are clearly referred to here as not Christians, as not followers of Christ. Uh, in fact, those who were not killed by these plagues did not repent, cannot include, obviously, uh, the people of God. Now note that this passage begins with uh, reference to a voice coming up from the altar. And again, that serves to link uh, this section with the prayers of all the saints in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, which were under the altar. Uh, and this uh, sixth trumpet now is a woe, uh, as the second woe. Uh, troops from the Euphrates. Uh, in Old Testament prophecy, um, God was willing to bring a nation from beyond the Euphrates to judge sinful Israel and other, God, other ungodly nations. In the book of Revelation, there are two rivers. One is the river, Babel, uh, the river Euphrates, the great river Euphrates, which is dried up, and it's always a threat. It, it indicates death and destruction, both here and in chapter 16, describing uh, just previously to, to the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, but uh, the other river is the river from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the New Jerusalem, and, and it flows from God's throne. These four angels who are bound obviously indicates that they're demons in verse 15, and they kill a third of mankind. Now John says, I heard their number, and it was 200 million. Well, that's how the New American Standard translates the passage. When we compare this with other translations, we'll note the ESV says that the, the number of the troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. The uh, Net Bible says 200 million. Uh, the NIV actually says twice 10,000 times 10,000. The New Living Translation, 200 million, and the New Revised Standard, uh, 200 million. But again, as we noted earlier, the Greek word for uh, 10,000 is myriad, and it's almost always in the plural as it is here. In fact, it says two myriads and then of myriads, which is probably well translated as reflected in the ESV and others, twice 10,000 times 10,000. The problem then becomes this. The, simple, the number cannot, cannot be counted. When myriad designates a countable number, it's always in the singular. And since it's here in the plural, how do you multiply two times ten thousands? You don't know how many ten thousands there are to multiply. And then you multiply that number by ten thousands, and you simply have no idea uh, how to actually multiply it out. So the idea then is simply this. It's an indefinite number of incalculable 
immensity. The key, of course, remains the simple fact that despite these plagues, despite these judgments of God upon the inhabitants of the earth, it does not bring them to repentance. The question then becomes, how are the nations going to be brought to repentance? And we'll turn to chapter 10 next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.